failure for me really never happened in any sport, academically, nothing. Now, with the thing that's most important in your life that you pushed, you're failing. And I found myself questioning, do I really want to keep doing this? Is it worth it? All those thoughts that go through your head when you're struggling, as everybody does. Welcome to the Winner's Time to Way Show. I am your host, Trent Clark, and this is episode 16 with Matt Mieske. Pressure. Matt is a former outfielder in the major leagues and started in the Midwest playing in the Mid-America Conference at Western Michigan University, which is not a hub for the major leagues. But listen as Matt shares his life of failures and pressures and how changing his perspective and point of view and learning to lean into the things that he can control and let go of that which is uncontrollable. His quote, control the things that you can control and the others don't worry about it. You will not want to miss us discuss how to handle the pressure, a perspective shift, the difference between goals and desire, setting great goals, what it means when we say pressure is self-applied. Enjoy this episode, part one of two on the Winner's Mind Away show. This is Trent Clark, CEO of Leadershipity. Serial entrepreneur, uh, international speaker, and longtime coach in professional baseball, where I coached in three World Series. Today, I am welcomed on the Winners Find a Way show with my special guest, Matt Mieske. Say hello, Matt. Hi, Trent. Good to be here. Oh, man, it's great to have you. Uh, Matt Mieske and I go back a long way, former professional ball player, and Matt has done all sorts of different things. Matt, you and I are Michigan kids both born and raised, I think. And uh, you're a Western Michigan Bronco, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So for those who are just joining the show uh, first time, Winners Find a Way is the name of our show. It is all about winners that have overcome. For folks that know people who they find to be successful, people who have quote unquote conquered it all. You know, this is a guy who went to the major leagues, you find out that uh, people have to overcome some challenges along the way, and it is never easy. And so if you're tuning in for the first time and you face stiff adversity, you feel like losses are mounting and you need to find a better way, I think you came to the right place. You're going to hear great stories and insights. So if you're already an entrepreneur, an athlete, an elite performer, business leader, or just looking to start your journey today to being elite, I think this is the perfect place for you to learn. So I'm excited about having Matt join us today. Matt, tell them real quickly, where can they find you online? Well, being in the financial uh, industry, we are we have a lot of rules. So um, I, I don't have a Twitter or Facebook, but I am on LinkedIn and, and I have a website, mattmieski.com. Twitter and Facebook, they just started allowing us to do that like last year. Wow. Um, so... I, I've chosen not to do that, but whether I do it in the future is kind of up in the air. A lot of your space, a lot of your space really stays in that LinkedIn space anyway. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure how much you're going to garner in the wealth management from Facebook or Twitter, but I certainly appreciate the fact that um, you are pretty locked in to talent and uh, and talking there where, where the business professionals are, which is commonly LinkedIn. Correct. and. I don't feel like I need to share my every thoughts regarding finances over Facebook or Twitter. If I was in baseball coaching or something, maybe I would use that more. But financial stuff is more private. So I think it tends to lend itself to not having more information out there versus less. So great. 
I'll tell you, let's um, let's quickly talk a little bit about some highlights about you. Bronco Hall of Fame, by the way, in 02. You were a former outfielder in the major leagues, 68. So you got a year on me, by the way. Maybe almost two on me, by the way. Brewers, Cubs, Mariners, Astros, Diamondbacks, uh, all over an eight-year span in your in the in the major leagues. Drafted by the Padres in the 17th round, which is funny because you don't list the Padres as any of your major league experience. So there's a story there. Traded to the Brewers. And then over your eight seasons, all pretty awesome. Best season in 96 with the Brewers, 14 home runs, 278, 374 at bats. Pretty awesome. Three all-time Mid-American Conference uh, selection. I was also a Mid-America guy playing at the University of Toledo, a rival of the old Broncos. So I don't know if we ever played at the same time. I think you were already out by the time uh, my years at Toledo. So you were probably already drafted. I'm not. Yeah. Maybe so, one year it was overlap, but I don't know if we, we didn't play every team. So we may not have, we may not have played Toledo. Yeah. So in 90, yeah. And so in 90, I think that was my, I think 91 was actually my first season for the Rockets. So okay. I think, I so, think we yeah. didn't overlap, you know, uh, a career fielding percentage of 979. So, you know, obviously well-known for your defensive skills and also what most people don't know about you is you had a near death experience at a pretty young age that, that changed some things probably for you as an adult. So we definitely want to get into that. So Matt, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm excited to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. I like speaking with people regarding this topic on, on leadership. I think it's a, an area that's sorely missed in our society today. And if anything that I've experienced can help someone else through a difficult time, then that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think, you know, that's why you, you, you come on a show like this, right? To take all these experiences you've had in your lifetime, which are, which are many and, and coming from a, a different background, probably. I mean, we know um, the major leagues are, are not filled with tons of Midwesterners, right? Like it is, it is a lot of ball players that come out of California, come out of Florida, come out of the sunshine States, Arizona, Texas, where it's easily, easily played 10 months a year. We do not play baseball 10 months a year in Michigan. So just FYI for everybody else, like you better have another sport of choice, right? We're happy to get 10 days, not 10, months. <laughs> 10 good days. right? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, it's so true. So you, you know, uh, probably it, it takes that whole new impression. Well, we should talk about this is that impression of how many now kids are playing all these games when you and I were young, we played all this practice. That's what we played because we knew, hey, you might only get, if you got in 40 games, that was tons back in the day. Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. Uh, I can remember um, my, my first year at Toledo, uh, we played in a field that had drainage issues, right? So I can remember my first year when we started, you know, we'd start games in the South, like in February or early March, and we'd, back, we'd be back up mid-March which, you know, in the Midwest, that could mean 65. It could mean 35, right? So right. you don't know what you're going to get. And I would be standing in an inch of water in the outfield in the 30 degrees. So we would take the old ice bags that we'd use after the game and we'd bag our feet before we put two layers of socks on so you could keep your feet dry. I have to admit, I never did that. But <laughs> there were guys in Milwaukee that did that. And they used... Yeah. Uh, they use bread bags, like bread bags. Yep. Bread. bread bags worked in between layers of socks to keep your feet wet. But yeah, that's always a challenge um, early in the spring, trying to keep your feet dry. And once yeah. they get, once they get wet, 
Yeah, it's well, miserable, but it's miserable. You're cold. It's, it's tough to ever heat up again. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's tough when your feet get wet. And, uh, I started with the bread bags and realized that those bags they were using to ice us down were, you know, twice the millimeter thick. Right. So I was yeah. like, Oh man, these are so much better. I could, yeah. I could stay drier, but they were weighty, you know? Yeah, they were. Um, but they work. They work. Yeah. So um, thanks for coming on the show. I'm, I'm super excited to talk a little shop. Let's get into you growing up a kid. You're a Midwestern kid. Did you, you grew up in the Midland area and tell us a little bit about that real quick. Yeah. Um, cold weather place today. A lot of, a lot of kids specialize in, in one sport. I played all the sports on a seasonal basis. So wasn't exclusive to just baseball, but I knew when I was pretty young, five or six, that that was my favorite. That was my passion. And watching the Tigers growing up, yeah. I just knew at a very early age that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Obviously, obviously you don't know you're going to make it at that time, but that was that was my lifelong dream um, to get to that level. I didn't I didn't even know what it was called. I just saw it on on television, and it was something that was interesting. Over time, you know, you learn that it's called the major leagues, and yeah. okay, that's what I want to do. So yeah, from that point. I would still play basketball and football and hockey, but baseball was always my favorite. Yeah. A lot of ice hockey in the, in the Midwest. Did you play ice hockey? Yeah. Yeah. I love but it. We didn't have, we didn't have any ice arenas in our area. So we played everything outside you know, as soon yeah. as the, as soon as the ponds or, or the water around us would freeze, we would play. We had a, a neighbor who would flood his backyard and make a rink in his backyard. Yeah. And I would play against, kids that were five, six, seven years older. And I mean, learn the hard, hard, you know, the hard way they check you over the snowbank and <laughs> you disappear for about 20 minutes because you had to dig your way out. But, um, yeah, it was, that was fun. I, I love playing that. And it, actually, if we would have had arenas, that would have probably been my favorite sport yeah. to play, but we just didn't have access to ice. There wasn't teams. Now they have high school teams that that play but um everything was either um pickup type games or you know not organized you just play against uh whoever whoever's out there it could be adults and yeah um but yeah it was fun i love that i love it man i tell you you know pond hockey there's something special about pond hockey because it's always with friends right there's fellowship there there's a lot of things going on and it kind of brings it to another level but I would say the one thing about hockey that most people don't know is like people think football's a hard game. Like hockey, you better be tough. You have much less padding. You are much more exposed. Oftentimes in football, you know, both people know contact is coming. In hockey, one person often doesn't know contact is coming, you know? And so like, that's uh, you're not always ready for the hits and prepared as you'd like to be. So let's, let's pivot to your, your childhood. Um, you know, we had, I'll, I'll kind of go to, you know, the baseball thing. One of the things that was influential for me as a kid was I was 14 when the Tigers won the World Series, you know, the 1984 Tigers, they called them the bless you boys, right? So you would have been about 15, 16 years old, you know, that they're a big influence in the Midwest and especially in Michigan, obviously. But was there some moment like along that path that was like the impactful point where you were like, I have got skills for this. Like I can do this. I can make this happen. Was there something that kind of led you to that? 
Winners Find a Way show is brought to you by data-driven operations powered by Journeys. Journeys is a software solution that helps you create a winning formula for your organization. DD Ops powered by Journey helps you act as one, see as one, work as one, play as one, win as one. Are you looking for visibility, coachability, and productivity amongst your team? DD Ops is your software. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more. I would say just on all the teams um, that I played on, a lot of times I played against competition that was older than I was, and that that always helped. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the point at which I realized that I really had a good opportunity was probably in um, Connie Mack. I was 16, playing against um, 17, 18-year-olds, and we were also part of a league where it was a men's league so they had a lot of college players that would come back and play in the summer and guys who had finished college or played professionally and then were done playing but they still like to play in the summertime and that kind of competition over the course of a summer for two summers playing about 50 games and being able to compete with them those guys had played a lot of them in mid-American schools, or some of them were division one, either Michigan state or Michigan. And then some guys who had played in the minors and being able to not only compete, but do well against them. Kind of the first time I was able to really see how I stacked up. Yes. And then um, I played in the Michigan um, high school all-star game in Detroit at the old tiger stadium mm-hmm. and um, got to see a lot of, those guys who were same caliber. Um, and then I played, uh, in the Olympic festival after I graduated high school, before I started college. And, um, there were players from all over the country, North, South, East, and West. I remember, um, Mike Mussina and Paul Carey and guys like that, that uh, Mike Mussina is in the hall of fame. So other high school kids, the best in the country and being able to go to that or being nominated to go play in that that's when i kind of knew that i was kind of in in that pool of people but what you do with it and where you go from there is really dependent on a lot of things you know i think about some of the prime time michigan players when when i was when we were kids and smoltz was a little bit ahead of me he might have been a little closer to your age Avery was right in my age. And then, you know, Derek Jeter was right behind me a few years. Right. So, you know, three pretty high quality players. It turned out to be pretty good major leaguers right at the time. And and there were many more, but I think those three just kind of stuck out to me and, you know, where you got a chance to size yourself up against what everyone was saying, like, Hey, if this isn't the best, this is pretty close. Right. Right. And, um, and I think that's, you know, you find that out. I had a similar experience that, I played with a really high level travel team and my last year at Connie Mack, I bypassed it to go play in the men's league because battle Creek was the host of the national championship. I was being you know, recruited to play on the best team. Cause, cause the host of that league who won the league was the national championship host. It was an automatic bid right to the nationals. So a lot of college players, a lot of just uh, former released pro players. And that's where I, I, the same thing. I kind of cut my teeth to say, Hey, can I compete against these players? And you doing that at 16 is, is amazing. And it's definitely validation. So I love that. So let's talk a little bit about a time that you've had to overcome, right? A, a time you were up against it, you know, losing 
found a way to come back and win, you know, down, but not out. Tell me a little bit about that, Matt. For me, it was when I was in AAA. I mean, obviously had a lot of success in everything I did up until then. I had really never failed, not to any great extent, not like striking out, but really felt like I was up against it. And so I had just gotten traded from um, San Diego to Milwaukee, had played a ball the previous year. Wow. So quick. So for people who don't know, let me explain this real quick, Matt, before you keep going. For people who do not know in business, if you don't understand the major leagues is, is the end of seven levels. There are two rookie ball or low a ball clubs. There is a full season, low ball, a A club. There is a high, there's a full season, high level a, which are different leagues, often like the California league or the Carolina league. And then you hear uh, the double A leagues, which is now really progressing one step away from the big leagues. I like to tell a lot of players, you're one step away at double A or higher and triple A because if an injury happens, they will call a double A AA or triple A player to the major leagues from that position. So at triple A, you are sitting, you are literally the backup typically to the starter. If not, if there's not a, a utility, they'll have a backup obviously in the, in the league, that's that's a that's usually a taxi person, a taxi squad. He can hold a lot of different positions, but the number two is often sitting in AAA to get the reps because you don't you don't uh, you don't get enough at bats when you're a utility. So I'd gotten traded in spring training five days before the end of spring training. Had played a uh, high A the year before. Where where are you in spring training with San Diego? I was in uh, Yuma, Arizona. Yuma. <laughs> Yuma. Yeah, there's not a team there. First of all, I mean, I'd like to apologize for you, Manu. Oh, yeah, um, but it was way away from everybody else. Yeah. And I got traded to Milwaukee, and they were in the Phoenix area. Okay. And um, Chandler. And, so it uh, wasn't all the way to Florida, so that was good. No, thankfully. But we only had a couple of days before spring training ended. And um, I went right to the big league camp for a few days. And then um, when the season started, I went to AAA, so I skipped double A. I never played double A. Wow. And um, so I was um, 23, and um, I got traded as part of the trade for Gary Sheffield. So it was a big trade. I think internally, I put a lot of pressure on myself to justify why. I don't know, but no no one told me, hey, you know, don't don't put pressure on yourself. This, this happens. And, but I'd always dreamed of of playing in the majors and baseball was always just kind of a, just what I love to do. Yeah. When I got traded, I realized, Oh, this is a little different than what I thought. This is actually a business and this stuff happens. You're just, you're an asset. And if we can move you somewhere, they do it. So you go through all that, you know, emotional um, grappling with yourself and why did this happen? And you have to look at it as a good thing, but initially you wonder why did this happen? I I'd won the most valuable player in the minors two years in a row previous to that, and then oh you get traded. So that's what that's what happens when you do really well. Well, I wasn't going to play right field in San Diego because Tony Gwynn was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew after a while that was a good thing because it was going to help me move the move up the ladder quicker. Yeah, but I put a lot of pressure on myself that. In baseball, as you know, doesn't work. You have to play the game relaxed, and the more you press, the worse your results are. So probably midway through May-ish, six or seven weeks into the season, I remember looking up 
at the big scoreboard in Mile High Stadium in Denver, and I was hitting 169, and uh, it was really it was embarrassing to me. It was, you know, I, I had, probably lower than your weight at that time. It was, it was, and <laughs> I had I'm used to seeing a three at the, at the start of my batting average, and yes, so I, I think it w- it was just a, a time where I was pressing harder and harder and harder, and you're one step away and you want to succeed so much and get there that the, the results were just diminishing. And, um, I just was burying myself farther into kind of almost a depression. Really. It was failure. Failure for me really never happened in any sport or any, and academically nothing. And now with the, the thing that's most important in your life that you pushed for since you were five, you're failing. And, and I found myself questioning, do I really want to keep doing this? Mm. Um, is it worth it? All those thoughts that go through your head when you're struggling as everybody does. And so for me, it was um, just a matter of being able to relax. Um, I mean, that's really where, where faith started to come in. Then God used that in, in my life in a big way. And um, my season turned around um, I probably had over 200 at bats at that point or close to it. And I ended up the season hit 277. So I wow. think from that point forward, I hit like 350 or 360 yeah. just to lift it to that point. So, um, just a big difference. And, and I learned so much about myself and about baseball. Mm. And, uh, I was always able to look back on that experience though, whenever I was struggling and, and, um, lean on that to not not get too discouraged, not that you won't get discouraged, but not get to the point where you're depressed or despondent or just, you know, at a complete loss and, 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 um, not able to, you know, be able to do anything. And, um, but it, it was, it was that experience for me that was very pivotal and it could have went either way. And there's, there's guys who run into that and they never make it out. And then they end up out of the game or whatever sport they're in. So um, thankfully, um, I was allowed to get through that. And um, and I've used it countless times yeah. in my life. And, and as I talk to other people, it's I think it's encouraging. Because um, I, know, I, I know what it is to, to be at rock bottom. Mm. Tons of stuff to unpack there, right? Like, like Gary Sheffield, first of all, like huge trade, like the Padres were pushing at that time for, you know, another title, right? And uh, and they, they were kind of getting on their way. They were building that foundation for one that went to the World Series later. And then you mentioned Mile High Stadium, which, of course, at that time, there were no Rockies. Denver was the AAA team. Um, and so you played in Mile High, the old football, the Broncos field. And where the ball, you know, you could pop one up to the second baseman that actually leaves the stadium because of that, that uh, altitude there, no joke. Yeah. And then did you have this? And i tell you what you mentioned that was really important to me was pressing pressure on myself. Like that doesn't serve very well in baseball. I don't know if that serves in any sport, right? Like when we get tensile and we, and we, and we contract and we constrict, like all of a sudden we're not free. We're not free to flow if we're so uptight and so pressured. And what I like to tell people is uh, pressure is self-applied. Like no one else can put pressure on you. Now, I'm sure if you honor the organization, you're listening to the general manager who's like saying, hey, Miski, you know, we made a big trade for you. Like we back more. Of course, you honor, you respect them. 
you can feel that pressure. But some fan who goes, hey, Michi, you're garbage. And you're like, going, I don't accept that pressure because like, why would I let that in? Right. 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 So Absolutely. We have to allow it. We have to allow it for ourselves. And so um, we typically self-apply our pressure uh, on the magnitude of what we decide for. Right. And of course, your desire to succeed, all this is allowing like, Hey, I've got to keep going, Matt. You got to be better. You got to work harder. You got to, you got to, you're today, you're going to do it. This is it, you know? And, and you can just imagine as that's not working. Right. It's always uh, worked. I've always worked hard. Always led to diminished returns. And I think that was something that you could remember um, as, as time went on and get yourself out of those spots. And, and I think um, for me, it was being able to really avoid prolonged periods of, of slumps. I really, after that, um, I really only had one other time the rest of my career where I really felt like I was in a slump and um, which, which in the majors, it's going to happen because the other guys yeah. are good too. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They're pretty good. Yeah. And, um, but I was able, I was able to get through that. And, um, but the stuff that I learned in the minors and going through that, um, really helped me in, in, in any sport or any vocation in life, you have to be mentally tough and, um, there's competition in business. There's competition in sports, mm-hmm. there's competition in life yep. and learning how to compete and, uh, and show up, uh, is very important. And, I think what you said, that self-applied pressure, um, another thing that, that helped me along the way, um, and I learned this when I was you know, 25 or 26, but, um, you know, I use it all the time with my kids, but, um, control the things that you can control mm-hmm. and the other stuff. Don't worry about it. Yep. You, know, you can, you control your, your attitude, how hard you concentrate and the effort that you give, you're not in control of the results. You know, as a hitter, you can, you can hit a screaming line drive somewhere while somebody out in the field has a glove and they get paid to catch that, Yeah, you know, and get you out. You can't control where it goes after that you did your job. So, and I think, um, in the business world, there's so many things that we can't control, but you can't control when you show up, how hard you work, how much time you put into it. And whether you're able to concentrate or not, and the attitude that you have in good or bad times, and um, everything else, like you said, is self-applied pressure. And if if you try to control the things that are outside of your scope, you could look at it like you failed, but you really yeah. didn't. That yeah. was one one thing when I was um, playing in Milwaukee that used to bug the crap out of me. But you know, people would um, at the beginning of the season say, "Well, you know." Do you have any goals for this year? Well, you know, the normal response is, well, yeah, I want to have 30 home runs and drive in 100, hit 300. You know, that's my goal. But what I realized was goals are different than desires. Mm. A goal many times takes the help or assistance of someone else. Mm. You You can have a goal of doing that. But if you don't get your name put in the lineup and you don't get enough at bats, yeah. you're not going to reach your goal. Did that mean yeah. you failed? No. Right. So there, there was a, a coach um, that I had that um, encouraged me to start 
focusing on, again, things you can control. I have a desire to do the best that I can. Mm-hmm. The outcome is also dependent on how often I get a chance to play. That's right. So w- what I learned was if you set a goal, you could be setting yourself up for disappointment because if you only get 200 at-bats, there's no way you're going to drive in 100 runs. That's right. And um, so did that mean you had a bad year? Well, in whose eyes? You didn't, yeah. you didn't, you didn't fail. Yeah. You do the best with the opportunity that you're given. And, and it applies to anything that you do in life. And um, so that was, again, as hard as it was, you know, my, 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 my one thing that I don't have any regrets uh, about how I played or how well I did. Um, I wish I would have got to play more than I did, but I learned a lot through that. I learned a lot watching games, watching people learning how to handle adversity, learning how to handle not getting what you, what you want and uh, being patient, that kind of thing. And all those are are life lessons that are, that are huge. And I've used countless times in, in in my job now. Um, And I wish I would have played more, but it was still at the highest level and it was what was supposed to happen, I guess. Yeah. Well, I love that perspective shift in that because I think a lot of people can really glean from that, right? Like be careful how you set up your perspective and your goals. And we talk a lot about that with uh, titles. I can remember one year I was in a rebuilding year in the major leagues. And one of the you know chief business folks set a vision that we would be a playoff team. And I'm like going, what? You know, I don't see that with, we weren't a very good major league team. We lost a couple of veterans. Our AAA team finished last. We did, we weren't sitting there with a bunch of prospects on the doorstep of greatness here yet. They still were developing and they were, they were coming along, but a little slower or, or they were younger at that level still. So it was a real stretch goal and vision. And the problem was you show up at all-star break and you're 25 games out of 500 and you're like uh i don't think this vision's gonna ever happen right and so now if it doesn't happen and you can't and and no one can identify with that you know the the paradigm shifts everybody starts thinking hey it's all about me what do i gotta do because the team you know we're not that goal is not even you know reachable and so I, i think it gets really challenging and and again it could be some of the things that were out of his control when he kind of set that in place, a trade, someone gets injured and he's thinking, Oh, we're going to ride this, this player higher. And, and it's, so there's a lot of factors. So I think that's a really good reset for a paradigm of how people set their desires and goals and what they're going for, because we know that goals and things that we're doing really come down to the moment and moment day by day. That's how they're said is what you do today to get you. I always like to say, you know, this day for that day. Right. And, and I learned that from coach Manny over at uh, Michigan state, but this day for that day, like, what am I doing this day? Even though that day may be two years away this day, I gotta, I gotta train. I gotta get ready. I gotta work. I gotta, I gotta do it. And um, I, I think there's also some interesting perspectives that, Milwaukee makes this trade for you, obviously giving up a high, a high price player and Gary Sheffield, but they, uh, my assumption and is I'm assuming that, you know, they, they've got eyes on you cause you're a Midwest kid. They've seen you play college ball. They've also seen you compete at national level, um, you know, coming out of that space and not, and being resilient to that where, 
you and I both know a lot of player that come from small towns or, or the North. And then we get on that big stage. It's a bit intimidating when you play against players that have been playing on TV in college half the year and, and they're no, they're well known in the papers or nationally. And then, Hey, nobody knows who I am. Cause I play at a smaller school or I'm from a, another area or, or in baseball, how many high school kids sign. And then you're playing against the top college players saying, Hey, how do I compete? They're three years older. They're more mature. They're bigger. They've got more experience. And the, and the mind starts getting into your own intimidation. Talk a little bit of that. Thank you for joining us for another Winners Find a Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. If you love this episode, share this episode with your friends and follow us on whatever podcasting medium you're listening to. If you want more content from us, join us at leadershipity.com or the Leadershipity YouTube channel. You can find us on all the social media networks at either Trent M. Clark or Leadershipity for our award-winning workshop win with great teams you can find that page on linkedin as well as our corporate page leadershipity if you want to win more it starts with you today say it with me now i have what it takes